Once again, I want to express my appreciation for the invitation to be here working with you uh, throughout at least the first part of this week. I uh, expressed uh, some of my, uh, the, the very little familiarity I have with the brethren that are here, but already I, I feel uh, so close to each one of you and the, the, your greetings and your encouragement, the words uh, regarding the lesson that we began with, and I really appreciate that song that we started off with uh, this morning. That was wonderful. I want to begin this morning asking a question, and I don't need you to answer me out loud, but I would like for you to give it to your consideration. I, what I need is for you to honestly examine yourself and to answer the question as honestly as you possibly can. And the question I want to begin with, and we'll carry through with this this evening, is what do you want more than anything else? If perhaps I had the power to grant a wish, what would you want more than anything else? Now, I would expect that given enough time, you might go through a few things, but eventually you would end up saying as a child of God, well, I, I want to go to heaven more than anything else. You know, as the saying goes, or not, not the saying, the truth is, if we miss heaven, we've missed it all. That, that is everything for us. But you know, sometimes we answer a question knowing what the right answer is, but it may not be the answer of our heart. You know, when we, when we uh, uh, give, give an answer to, to someone, we may think, now what do they want me to say? <laughs> I, I remember when I was starting to college, everybody was asking me, Brett, what are you going to major in? And I, 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 you know, or they'd say, what are you going to study? And I thought, well, I don't plan on studying. I'm going up here to make friends and play intramural football and, you know, do, do things like that. That's pretty irresponsible obviously, but I, I began to think, well, what, what do I want to do? You know, what, what do I want to be? Uh, I, I want to be somebody important and I want to make, make some money and, and what's going to impress people? Well, my dad was a mechanical engineer and my big brother was uh, at school majoring in mechanical engineering. That seemed to impress a lot of people. And so I said, well, I think I'm going to major in engineering. Well, you know, as a dad knows his son, my dad said, you know, Brett, are you sure that that's what you want to do? I mean, math isn't really your strong suit, you know. Oh, no, Dad, I, that, that's exactly what I want to do. Okay. And I, I thought, well, I hope he's impressed with me. You know, after that first week of classes, the chemistry and the math and the mechanical drawing, I, I, I thought to myself, I don't care if nobody's impressed with me. I don't ever want to do this in my life. I dropped those classes as fast as I could. And, and that's just an example. You know, sometimes we, we think we know what somebody wants us to say or the best answer. And when I'm asking you, what do you want more than anything? And the obvious answer for a child of God is heaven. I, I want to stop and, and I want to ask you again, is that really the answer of your, is that really what you want more than anything else? Because if it is, you'll be willing to do anything and everything that it takes to get there, wouldn't you? You know, a young man who, who wants a young woman's hand in marriage, he will go to any length. He'll jump over the moon to win that girl's heart. An athlete who wants to win a state championship or play on a collegiate or Olympic level is willing to sacrifice and to do without and to miss out on things in order to accomplish that goal. A musician who wants to play on the big stage 
or, or a scholar who, who seeks to be the valedictorian of his class is willing to forego some things in order to accomplish that. And so when I ask you the question, what do you want more than anything else? And the obvious right answer is heaven. Sometimes we need to go and examine ourselves. And what I'm talking about is really to do a personal audit. What, what, does, what does my life say to that question? The investment of my time and my interest how involved, how interested am I in Bible studies, in personal work, in men's studies, in the, in the women's studies, in, in the Bible class program, in teaching, and in, in helping in, in the work of a local church? What does my life say to that? And you say, well, Brett, I, I am certain that that's exactly what I want more than anything else. I want to go to heaven. Uh, absolutely. Well, if that is the case, then if I were able to show you a way that you could accomplish that with more ease and with more surety or certainty, then you would definitely do that, wouldn't you? I want you to read with me in Hebrews chapter 12. Turn over there with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 1. And I believe that we are going to see the answer to this here. This is going to show you how you can be certain that you're going to get to heaven whenever the Lord returns or if you should die before that comes. In Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want to suggest to you that there is a key there that is profound and powerful. You might be reading that and saying, well, Brett, I've read that passage more times than I can count. What, what's the big secret that's there? He tells us that we are to lay aside every weight in order to run with endurance the race that is set before us. How is that going to give us more ease and more certainty of, of gaining heaven? Well, what he's telling us here is that laying aside every weight is, is equivalent to laying aside hindrance. I believe maybe the New American Standard Version says every encumbrance, maybe the ESV, I don't remember. And that's exactly what he's talking about because he's using the metaphor of a race. And those who run in a race, weight is an encumbrance. Runners spend a great deal of money on the lightest shoes, the lightest clothing, because every ounce of weight is an encumbrance. If you're just uh, uh, going to run uh, a, a short uh, distance, uh, a sprint, uh, maybe it's not going to be nearly as important as far as endurance is concerned. But if you're going to run a marathon, weight is everything. And that's what we're running. We're running a marathon. And he's telling us that we need to lay aside all of these encumbrances, all of these weights. And if we really want to get there, that's exactly what we're going to do. Now, I want you to notice in this passage in Hebrews 12 and in verse 1, the way he words this, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. I want to suggest to you that he's talking here not about sin necessarily, but he's talking about things that may not necessarily be sinful, but that are a hindrance because he says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. I think that sin, for whatever it's worth, it so easily ensnares us in the book of Hebrews is the sin of unbelief. But he's talking about something else. There are other encumbrances. There are other hindrances to us. 
You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in verse 12, he said, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Notice, there are some things that are lawful that are not helpful. There's some things in this life that are not necessary to get to heaven. They're temporal. And they're not sinful. They're not immoral. They're actually lawful, but they're not going to help us get there. In some cases, they're actually going to hinder us. You know, if we were to graph it, it would be something like this. There is a realm of things that, that's unauthorized, things that are unlawful, things that are sinful. But within that realm of what is lawful and not sinful, some of those things are actually not helpful to us as a Christian. And we use the word expedient. There are some things that are expedient. They're, they're lawful. They help expedite what we must do as a Christian. And there's some things that are not expedient, not helpful. That's what I want to look at this morning and this evening. Because I realized at a point in my life, in my 20s, I was working in secular work. I didn't start preaching until I was about 30 years old. And so working in secular work through my 20s in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I, I was struggling, wondering why is it so hard to be a Christian? Why does it seem like I, I will do so well for a while and, and, and then I'll, I'll just fall and, and stumble and then I'll pick myself back up, I'll go for a while and then I'll fall again and I couldn't understand why was it so hard. And this verse, this verse was the key for me, understanding that I was trying to carry some things in my life that were weights spiritually. They were hindrances. They weren't sinful. I, I had the concept that as long as it wasn't sinful, it was okay. And I was going to participate in anything that wasn't sinful. And what I realized is that I was actually undermining my own effort to get to heaven. It didn't have to be so hard to get to heaven. I just needed to let go of some of those things that were actually weighing me down. And you know, we think about a, a runner in this same way. You know, what we've got to realize is that we're looking at things that are not inherently sinful. And what the, what the Bible's telling us is that if we, if we really desire to finish, if we really do mean it, that we want to go to heaven more than anything else, we're going to shed that weight. You know, say for instance that uh, they were going to have a, a marathon uh, here in this area uh, this week, maybe Monday or Tuesday. And I were to tell you, you know, I'm going to run that marathon Tuesday morning. You might think, well, that's, that's pretty neat. The visiting preacher's going to run in a local marathon here. And so you, you, you say, well, I, I'm going to go down there and see that race. So you come down at the, at the starting line that morning. And there I am warming up with everybody else, you know, stretching out and get up to the starting line. And, and I've got one of those big, you know, construction size five gallon water jugs on my shoulder. And, and you think, what is he doing? Has he ever ran one of these things before? You might make your way down there and say, hey, Brett, I, I don't know if you realize how long a marathon is, but I don't think you want to carry all that water on your shoulder. And, and I say to you, it's not against the rules. I've read the rules front and back. I even asked uh, some of the officials, and I can carry this water with me. You'd say, well, it's not about what's right and wrong. I, I'm just talking about finishing. <laughs> you know, a lot of people run a marathon not to win, but just to see if they can do it. It takes so much endurance. And if I told you, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get thirsty when I run. 
And, and I don't care what you say, I'm going to carry this water. What I would reveal to you is that I value that water more than I value finishing. That's the bottom line, isn't it? If I'm willing to hold on to that at the very reasonable and real risk of not finishing the race, I value getting a drink when I'm thirsty more than I value finishing that race. And brethren, the reality is that when we go to a brother or sister about something in their life that's of a temporal nature, not sinful, maybe they're caught up in their career, maybe it's one of their hobbies, maybe it's their kids' sports, or, or something that is actually having an impact on them spiritually. When that person really bristles up and lets us know there's nothing sinful about this and I'm going to do it whether you like it or not, what they've revealed is that they don't necessarily or really want to go to heaven more than anything else. And that's why I say that we've got to, we really need to do a personal audit. And, and especially for you younger people, because I, I think that for a lot of us, we don't understand sometimes why does it seem so difficult to be a Christian? And the reality is it doesn't have to be. You don't have to carry all of that. Yeah, you're going to get thirsty in that race, but they've got cups of water along the way. You may not be able to get a drink exactly when you want it, but you're going to get a drink. You're going to be okay. But if all you can focus on is what you want right now, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, you're probably not going to get to heaven. You know, that, that was the example in 1 Corinthians 10 of the children of Israel. They rose up to eat, and uh, they, sat, uh, 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 they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He was talking about the fact that they wanted everything now, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Scattered as evidence for you and I. Written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. If our focus is on what we want now, it's not sinful, it's not temporal, I don't need it to go to heaven, but I want it anyway. We don't really want heaven more than anything else in life. And so what we've got to realize is, what is our desire? The key really is our desire and what we value. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what it's all about. It's not necessarily about doing something or having something. It's about the craving and the desire for something that's not necessary for me to get to heaven. Something that is of a temporal nature. It's not wrong in and of itself. So I want you to notice what we're going to go through in the study this morning and this evening. We're going to be looking at some things that I identified in my life that were hindrances to me. And I think that they'll, at least some of them will resonate with you. And we're going to look at these things because these things are not wrong in and of themselves. And I want you to be sure that you understand I'm not saying these things are inherently wrong. I'm saying that these things can easily become a hindrance to us. So I want you to consider some of these with me, if you will. What are these things that hinder us? Well, one of the first things that I identified in my life is this incredible desire. Remember, where your treasure is, there your heart, or where your heart is, there your uh, treasure is, there your heart will be also. My treasure and my desire was for this worldly success. And what I'm talking about with worldly success, I know we use worldly in a, lot of, in a lot of different terms. What I'm talking about is temporal, temporal success. I'm talking about being great in God's estimation or in man's estimation. 
And I wanted to be great in man's estimation. And the way that man considers and, 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 and accounts for greatness usually has something to do with, with temporal success. Whether it's academic success or, or, or success in the, in the professional world, that's what I was looking for. And the reality is that there will often be a conflict in our life between being great in God's mind and being great in man's eyes. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, beginning in verse 43, It shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And notice how he considered success and greatness. What was his, what was his outlook like? He didn't come to be served. It wasn't about what man thought. He said to be great in God's estimation, you need to condescend. You need to be a servant. That's not what people today consider to be successful, is it? It's not. You know, I, I remember so well a, a sermon in a gospel meeting during this point in my life when I was living down there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And the preacher was talking about one of the greatest men that he had ever known in the kingdom of Christ. He said this man had brought more people to the truth than anyone that he had ever met. But this man was a janitor in one of the local elementary schools in the area where he preached. But he said this man would leave tracts and cards and invitations everywhere he went. And he taught many of those studies, many of them he brought to the preacher, to the elders there, and they were able to study with him. But he said this man, as far as as making a difference, an eternal difference in this world, this man made a greater difference than anyone he knew. I doubt if that man was ever acclaimed or recognized for his success in this world. But God considers him to be successful. You know, in John chapter 5 and in verse 44, Jesus said, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? That's the real question, isn't it? Whose honor do we want? We've got to be honest with ourselves. Again, look, you know, you're, God knows. God knows. And you know. Whose honor are you seeking? You say, well, both. You can't always have both. That's the point. And so ultimately, what is the priority that you want more than anything? John chapter 12 brings out the danger. In John 12 and verses 42 through 43, Nevertheless, even among the rulers many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Listen to verse 43. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's what we're struggling with. And for some of us, We've got to completely lay aside that weight. I'm not saying it's wrong to be considered successful by people of this world. Obviously not. But when that becomes our desire, when that becomes our treasure, when that's our craving, that's when we're going to have problems because there's going to be a conflict. And somebody says, well, well, Brett, why exactly is this a weight? I'll tell you why it's a weight because it is a, it is a real possibility that you may have to lose that worldly success in order to remain faithful to God. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 10 
said in verse 22, you'll be hated by all for my namesake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Then in verse 24 and 25, he said, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough that a disciple be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Essentially what Jesus is saying is, if you are truly following me, if you are truly a disciple of mine, you are not going to be considered successful by all men. As a matter of fact, you're going to be hated by many. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul spoke of this very thing. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 11, Paul said to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, we're poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. You know, I show dirty jobs. If you've ever had a dirty job where you've had to do some of that offscouring, what a powerful, what a powerful word that the Holy Spirit, that the Apostle Paul uses here. We have been made as the ambassadors of Christ. We've been made as the filth and the offscouring of this world. How successful did the world consider Paul to be? This man was a prodigy in the Jewish religion. He was an up and comer. He was the man. He had his way made. And in Philippians, he says in chapter 3, I count all those things worthy to be thrown away. He wanted to know Christ and His sufferings. But that meant that he was going to lose the acclaim of men. And you know, right after he says, we've been made as the offscouring of the world, in verse 13, look in verse 16. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we've got to have some kind of, of uh, obsession with people hating us or, or trying to make ourselves obnoxious so that no one will like us. We, we don't need to do that. We, we simply need to be transformed into the image of Christ. And to some, we're going to be the aroma of death as a result of that. And when we feel that, and that, that's the problem. When I was seeking, I wanted to be a Christian, I wanted to go to heaven, but I also wanted this worldly success. And when I began to feel that repulsion from other people, I, I realized, oh, I've, I've got to let go of some of that. I, I've got to come back and mend this. I've got to make sure that I don't lose this. And then I felt myself drifting away from the Lord. And what was happening is I was making myself or putting myself into a tug of war between the Lord and the world. And he never intended for that to be that way. I was doing it to myself. And the Lord was saying, lay aside that weight. Yes, it's a tremendous weight. It's a tremendous weight. And we've got to be willing to lose it. Daniel was willing to. Moses was willing to. He gave it all up in Egypt. The apostle Paul was willing to. No, the problem is that this worldly success, it's intoxicating and it's deceiving because we get some of it and we want just a little more. And, and one of the things that we may do is we may compare ourselves to others and, and that we work with and say, well, I'm not as bad as he is. I mean, I don't, I don't work as much as, as he does or as much as she does. You know, the Bible warns us in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 about comparing ourselves with ourselves and we become fools when we do that you'll always be able to find someone worse than you. That's not a good measure. It's not a good standard. You've got to come back to Christ. 
And I'm not saying that it's wrong to be successful in the estimation of men. Proverbs chapter 27 tells us in verse 25 all the way down through verse 34 to be diligent to know the state of your flocks and herds. God wants us to be a good steward of things. But that doesn't mean that those things should be the priority. And while we're here, I want to talk about another point because this is something that has been happening through, throughout uh, the, the transition that we're seeing in our culture. It's been happening for a long time. And that is that we're seeing more and more women that are pressured to follow the world's standards of success today. And, and I'm, again, this is not about a right and a wrong. I'm not saying that it's wrong for a woman to have a career or, or to be successful in the estimation of men. But what I'm telling you is that can be an incredible hindrance and a weight, especially for a woman who is raising children and who is a wife and a helpmeet to her husband. You know, the problem is that what we're really dealing with here is God's priority for us. What is God's priority for the man? Well, for every man, God's priority is that we love him with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Now, in doing that, as a man, I have a responsibility to provide for my own. If a man will not provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. That's my responsibility in my family, to provide for my family. My wife also has a responsibility. And I want us to notice this. God's priority for the woman is to be primarily a homekeeper. That doesn't mean it has to be the only thing she does, but it has to be the priority. I say that because in Titus chapter 2, he says in verses 4 through 5, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. <clears throat> what is God's priority for the woman? What is her purpose? He says to be a homemaker. It doesn't mean that she can't do other things. I do other things besides provide for my family, but that comes first as far as my role as a husband and a father. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in verse 14, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Notice that, manage the house. God's priority for the woman is to be a homekeeper or a home manager. As a matter of fact, we noticed earlier uh, this morning in Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 18, that the woman, the female gender, <clears throat> yes, there is a female gender, that the woman was created for this purpose. In Genesis 2 and in verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. The whole reason for the creation of the female gender was to be a helper suited to the man. I know that's got to be the most politically incorrect thing I'll say all week. But I'm going to preach it until I'm dead. Brethren, we cannot leave these fundamental foundations of the faith. And that is in the family. And what God has created us for, I'm not ashamed of this fact. I praise God that my mother was thrilled to be a homemaker. That wasn't the only thing that she did, but that's what she gave herself to. And I praise God for all godly women that understand this important role. In 1 Corinthians 11 and in verse 9, in verse 8, man is not from the woman, but woman from the man. Verse 9, nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. You can't take that out of your Bible. And we need to make sure that the younger women are hearing this. This is your role. And there is nothing to be ashamed of. There is no lack of value in it. It's not that the man's role is here and the woman's role is here. 
This is a crucial role. The hand that rocks the cradle truly does rule the world. It is the greatest work that anyone can do. Certainly, I, the, the man's role is in providing for his family, leading his family, training his children. Brethren, we've got to understand the whole purpose behind this. And let me emphasize that older women should be teaching this. Let's go back there to Titus chapter 2, in verses 3 through 5. The older women likewise, that they be teachers of good things. You know, somebody says, well, Brad, you know, these younger women, they just don't want to hear that from us. Well, bless your heart, a lot of people don't want to hear what I have to preach or what Brother Hutto has to preach. But we're to be instant in season and out of season. Amen? And whether we're teaching to the young men their role and responsibility or the older women teaching to the younger women. There are a lot of people that are uncomfortable hearing the truth. We've still got to teach it. And it's not a matter of being old-fashioned. It's a matter of preaching and teaching the truth along these lines. You know, the, the real issue is priority. And when I say it's not wrong in any way for, for a woman to be uh, uh, working outside the home in, in some type of a, a job like that, the issue is priority. And priority is determined by the time and the effort devoted to a task. And, and I, I want, we've got to be honest with ourselves about these things. If I were to tell you that the church there at Southside in Blue Springs, Missouri is supporting me full time as a gospel preacher, but then you find out that I'm working 40 to 50 hours a week uh, down at this particular business, there's nothing wrong with a preacher working. Paul mended tents, right? But you might feel like there was a conflict if I'm being supported full time, and yet I'm out going out here and I'm working full time at something else. I'm not saying that you can't do something else, but I'm saying be real about where your priority is. And what, what we've done in a, lot, in a lot of cases is we bought into the world's uh, a concept of, well, bread, it's about quality time. Yeah, I'm giving my kids quality time. I'm, yeah, I'm working 40 or sometimes more hours a week, but I'm, I'm giving them quality time. You know, if that works, why don't you offer that to your boss? Why don't you turn around and give him the quality time? Just trade it. See if he'll buy that. I understand quality time. We need to give quality time to everything that we do. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. The reality is there's something to be said about the quantity of time too. So let's be real about that. You know, when I say that it's not wrong for a woman to work outside the home, what we have to affirm is what she was created and made for, what she's really good at. The woman was created to be a nurturer. That's where she's going to shine and be fulfilled. And there are some women that are going to be just as good or better at making money in the professional world. That doesn't mean that that's their role. We're living in a time where everything's getting switched on us. I mean, we don't even know what, what gender to, to refer to people based on what the world's telling us. And, and men are choosing to be stay at home and, and, and women going out and making the money because they can make more money. And I want to tell you, men, that is not God's purpose for you. You are the breadwinner. And there may be times in life where your wife is going to pitch in and help. And there's times when you're pitching in and helping her with the domestic affairs. That's great. But let's be real about what we were made for and our priority. Yes, we can help each other. You know, sometimes a, a running back has to block. <laughs> but he's not the best blocker on the team. 
And he's not the guy that you want blocking all the time. There are people that are made for certain roles, and that's what we've got to come back to. And husbands, maybe one of the things that is leading so many women out here into this uh, into the world and in this professional field and really truly weighing them down trying to be super mom and do all these things is because they don't see any value from their husband for a homemaker and if they don't hear from us how much we value what they're doing they're not going to hear it from the world and they're not going to hear from their kids we have to teach our children to value what their mother does our children need to hear us praising their mom. In, in Proverbs 31, her husband praised her in the gates, and therefore her children rose up and called her blessed. The fact is women are being weighed down and torn apart at the seams trying to be supermom and pursue things that are not their responsibility. And in too many cases, men are pushing them out there because they've realized that with dual income, they can drive a new truck or have a new boat and all the toys that men like to have. Men, let's get back to teaching our family how to be content with things that honest work will provide and not overspending ourselves and creating a catastrophe so our wife has to be spread thin and do everything. Let's make sure that we are empowering our wives to be who she can be, especially when we're raising children. There are different chapters in life, I realize that. Brethren, this is a weight. Are we pursuing our profession at the cost of God? In James 4 and in verse 14, he says, You do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. We think, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm investing myself in this bread, and, and when I get to this age or I, I make this much money, then I'm going to be more involved in the church. Then I can serve as a deacon. Then I can be more involved as a Bible class teacher. You don't even know what tomorrow holds. As a matter of fact, God says that's prideful. If the Lord wills, you'll do this or that. Is your job regularly causing you to miss the assemblies of the saints? In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, the Bible warns us about this problem. You know, when we think about this, sometimes people will say, well, you know, Brett, I, I, I know I wasn't there, but I, my ox was in the ditch. And they're talking about the fact that they worked that day. Now I realize that there are some emergencies that we're called out on. People get sick, there are emergencies that arise. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a job where we habitually miss the Lord's Day and assembling with the saints. Somebody says, well, my ox was in the ditch. You know, when we look at that text in Luke chapter 14 and verse 5, Jesus said, which of you having a, a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? He's talking about saving life. He's talking about an emergency there. Is that what we're dealing with? Or are we dealing with taking a job that we know is going to require us to work regularly a certain number of Lord's Days every month? That's not what Jesus was talking about. And let me tell you something else about ox, an ox falling in the ditch. I understand something about that. I was raised on a farm. We had cattle. And you know, sometimes we would get a bull, and my dad would call it a rogy bull. He was never satisfied with the herd that we had. He had to tear down every fence to get to the, to the neighbor's cows. And he wanted to go and see the neighbor's cows on the other side of the road. And he would tear the fences up, and we'd have to go out and get him back in and fix the fence. 
You know what happened to that bull if we had to keep getting him back in? We ate him and we got a different bull. You know, if you've got an ox that keeps falling in the ditch, maybe you need to get another ox. Something's wrong with your ox. It shouldn't always fall in the ditch. So that's not an out for us when we're putting, in reality, we're putting our profession and our career before the Lord. In other words, when there's a conflict, the career's going to win. That's the, that's the reality of it. Like I said... Not always comfortable to be honest with ourselves, is it? What's weighing you down? What's keeping you from being everything that you could be here in this congregation? I mean to be fully devoted to the work. Here am I, send me. To be fully invested, fully engaged as a husband with your wife, to take the time to study together and to pray together to visit and to talk about the kids and about, about the day and about what's going to be accomplished and about what your goals are, about financial goals, yes, about how you'll be a good steward of these things, to be invested with your kids for family Bible study. What's it going to take and what would you need to lay aside? That's what we've really got to ask ourselves. You know, most people believe that there's going to be a time in their life when they're going to be able to fully devote their lives. I, I know I can't do it right now, but real soon I'm going to be able to give everything I've got to the Lord. You know, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. In verse 18, the man said, I, I will do this, I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there I'll store all my crops and my goods, and I'll say to my soul, Soul, you've many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you've provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Is that what's going on? You're just wanting one more barn? Be honest with yourself. Do you really want to go to heaven more than anything else? Because I want to tell you this morning, if you don't, you're not going to get there. You're not going to slide into heaven. You're not going to accidentally get there. You're going to have to strive that you may enter in. And that means that you need to lay aside every weight. You know what's going to happen when you do that? all of a sudden you're going to realize how joyful the life of a Christian is. You're not going to have all those things pulling you down. We're going to continue the study this evening and we're going to look at a few more things. Spend the most time on this first one because it was the greatest challenge that I had. I hope this resonates with you. If it doesn't, maybe one, a few of the things we talk about this evening will, but we hope you'll come back, be making this application and realize how important this is. If you're here this morning and you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, we don't want to leave here without extending to you the invitation of Jesus Christ to come believing in Him as the Christ, the Son of God, to confess your faith in Him publicly before this congregation, this assembly here, to repent of your sins and be baptized in water for the remission of sins. You can do that this morning and we can assist you in that. And if as a child of God you realize that you have been weighed down, maybe even overthrown with the affairs of this life, entangled with the affairs of this life, as Paul says to Timothy. If you need the prayers of the saints here, they will gladly pray for you. Whatever you need of a spiritual nature to be right with God before you leave here, please come forward and make that known as we stand and sing.
the invitation song. <laughs> 